This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. We've got two very big topics, how to raise teenagers and how to help the people we love make it through the holidays if they are grieving. There's a discussion coming up at the Align Center in Irvington that's going to be a big help to lots of people. Even if you've lost someone years ago, the holidays can be so hard. That's coming up, along with one of the most beautiful ideas I've ever heard of. A gift that you can give to someone who's lost a loved one that will brighten lives for many, many years to come. It's all on the way. Now, how are you doing? As we enter the crazy days of the holiday season, are you getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, getting enough walks in nature? Can I support you to make some healthy boundaries? as you try not to do it all this year. So in my coaching work of late, I've come across a very handy diagram, a tool called the Karpman Drama Triangle. Picture a triangle, and in one corner, there is the victim. Oh, woe to the victim. Everything happens to them. They are so downtrodden and taken advantage of. And then in another corner is... The rescuer. I will help you, you victim. I see you are in a woeful state, and it is my job to save you. I will save you by doing things you don't even need me to do. And in the other corner of our Karpman drama triangle, we find the persecutor, the bully who says, Oh, it's all your fault. You did this. I'm mad. I'm bossy, and I'm right all the time. Me smart. You wrong. So, the bully, the victim, and the rescuer. Or, the persecutor, the savior, and the victim. Call it what you like. If you find yourself playing out any of those roles this holiday season, oh, stop and take a breath and climb out of that drama and find your true power. Thank you, Stephen Karpman, who won an award for his work in 1972. If you find your way to Casey.co, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Click on the link that says Thoughts. I've been using this Cartman triangle with a lot of my coaching clients of late. Now, if you have teens on your holiday shopping list, treat yourself to this little something, too. This book from Dr. Carl Pickhart. He is an expert on raising teens, and he knows just what they want to hear. Where are you calling home these days, Dr. Pickhart? Austin, Texas. All right. Hello to Texas. Well, here's another another one of your brilliant books, Who Stole My Child? Parenting Through the Four Stages of Adolescence. I read the title and I said, oh, Carl, four stages? Four stages? <laughs> No, it's too much. It's too much. All right. So start us through the first stage. That's all about shedding their childhood, right? Right. That's a, yeah, around 9 to 13 is when it usually begins, and that's the separation from childhood and 
kid tends to get more disorganized and distracted and sometimes a little more negative because they're kind of bored and at loose ends and you get more of the active and passive resistance of arguing and the delay and then early experimentation, testing rules and limits. Yeah, and that's all part of that. The redefinitional process is now beginning. All right, so what's happening? Because they go from these wide-eyed kids that adore us, that are so engaged and they want to know everything about the world, and then they change before our eyes. Is something happening inside their brains and bodies? You know, it's a developmental process, and, and what happens is adolescence begins with, with loss, and it's mutual loss. Parents will never have their adoring and adorable little child again, and the child has a double loss at this point because not only do they have to find themselves having to let go childhood and childhood enjoyment, it's like the kid in, you know, in words and actions is saying, I no longer want to be treated and defined as a child anymore, so now growing up requires giving up, and that's a hard thing. And also, part of what is giving up is that you no longer have the idealized and wonderful parents. So it's, it's, it's a hard transition. Wow. You know, I never looked at it from a kid's point of view, that becoming, you know, a young adult, that they lose things, too. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why you get those, I mean, you get those kids who, who will secretly, you know, still play with childhood belongings and toys just by themselves, <laughs> They don't want other people to know they do it, but they're hanging on. And then you get wonderful ambivalence. You get mixed messages. You know, I can do it. You know, you never help me. You know, you're always on my case. You know, you never pay me any attention. And then the parent, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? These mixed messages. And then you just have to, you just have to roll with them because that's where the kid is, is sincerely is. They're just ambivalent. Getting started is, a, is an awkward, painful process. And the world becomes so complicated now. It's not, you know, it's like the kid going from elementary school to middle school and the world changes. And, you know, people wonder, well, why is my kid so disorganized and distracted? Well, disorganized because the old management system in childhood doesn't work anymore and it's just they're distracted because there's so much going on now that was never going on before. Right. How can we best help them? Ultimately the best way we can help them is that we want to, I mean that's the parent's job you know, the parent's job is to say caringly and communicatively connected to their young person while adolescence is growing them apart, which is what it's meant to do. I mean, that's partly why I wrote the book is I thought if, you know, suppose you, suppose you could write a book that would help parents anticipate common changes all the way through this journey of growing up. You know, maybe they would, if they can kind of keep up with their child by staying a little ahead of the growth curve with their adolescence, maybe they can be a little more accepting, a little less surprised, and a little less inclined to overreact when one of these changes occurs. Right. Don't overreact now because there's plenty more coming down the road. <laughs> right, right, right. So, okay, if the first stage is is like the, the letting go of things, what's the second stage? second stage is forming a family of friends. And I think mo- most adolescents know that, that yeah, adolescence is no time to go it alone. You really want to have the company of people like yourself who are going through the same changes who are all becoming different the same way you are. But what that does, however, is it creates problems in terms of social belonging and, and pressure. And now, you know, you get you get a really, really difficult convergence. And it usually happens, these are the, mostly the middle school years, where 
social belonging becomes very, very important, but also very, very difficult because now everybody is also either approaching or undergoing puberty. So they, their bodies are out of control. They're easily embarrassed. Now what happens as part of the way kids struggle for social standing, very often they get into more kinds of social cruelty behaviors like teasing, exclusion, bullying, rumoring, ganging up, that kind of thing. You know, as they jockey for social standing because they're trying to shore themselves up socially because, uh, you know, psychologically they're, they're really in a, in a complicated place for themselves. It's a very, very, it's a very vulnerable time. Everybody says it. It's almost a cliche at this point. It's so much different now with the internet. You know, they're exposed to so much at such a young age, so many things that their little brains can't even hold. Yeah, I mean, the old days, you know, you and I may have grown up in one world, the offline world, but we've got, you know, we're raising kids in two worlds. That online world has is, is totally changed. You know, it doesn't change the adolescence, but it's changed the complexity of helping our kids through adolescence because now they're they're only a click away from whatever kind of information they want. We, it's, we no longer can say, we're talking talk about that when you're older. No. We'll talk about that when you have an interest in it or when you have shown an interest in it. We're used to wanting our kids to engage in offline demands like work and responsibility and so forth. But compared to those offline demands, there is this incredible temptation for online escape into this electronic circus that has never existed before. Uh, and so the parents are always in constant struggle is how to manage that mix. I mean, the, as parents, you know, we want our kid to be competent online because that has educational and social and occupational value. But we also want them to be safe so that they don't put themselves at some kind of risk online. And we also want them to be balanced where they maintain enough of a mix of online and offline skill development so that they can gather the kind of responsibility they're going to need to functionally operate on their own as they get older. Right. And, you know, it's hard for grown-ups to pull themselves away from social media. You know, imagine, oh, yeah. right, for children it's got to be so much worse. In counseling with parents and kids, I, I have never had an adolescent, you know, interrupt counseling to answer, to answer their cell phone or to check it out. Parents do it all the time. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's terrible. All right, stage it. I don't mind it, but I'm just saying that, that, you know, parents who are, you know, get upset about all the, all the, distraction that this online world tends to pose, you know, it's the same for the adults. It's, I don't think it's much different from the adults and the kids. Right. And stages three and four, when we talk about your book, Who Stole My Child? Parenting Through the Four Stages of Adolescence. Stage three is, is late adolescence, roughly the high school years, 15 to 18. And that's that's where kids are interested in trying out more grown-up activities like driving, dating, recreational substance, substance use, uh, you know, partying and significant relationships, and it's an age where parents have to be willing to talk to their kid about these issues, how to do these things safely. And then this last stage, which I think is the hardest stage, is stepping off on one's own, 18 to 23, where these kids are actually leaving home, and what most of them discover is they lack sufficient self-discipline to catch hold in some ways, and so they trip and they fall and they get in difficulty. And then the steam rollers, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're surrounded by a cohort of slipping and sliding peers, and it's a tough time. And sometimes these kids will boomerang home for a while. 
uh, if they if they really lose their footing, and you get the college retention rate, which is you know roughly around fifty percent. So that I think lack of adequate self discipline is I think a big reason for that. Kids are really in struggle, and they need parents there to mentor them at this point in their life. So when the kids boomerang back home, or when they struggle in the later teen to early adult years. Is it because we've done something wrong? No, 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 no. Don't blame yourself and don't blame the kid. There's no, there's no schedule on. Everybody grows at their own schedule. The issue is not whether they they live mistake-free, but do they learn from the mistakes they make? I mean, that's what most education in adolescence is, mistake-based education, learning from the choices and the consequences that we make. So that's the only criteria, you know. If the kid loses their footing, well, what do they learn? You know, what do they need to learn to take, you know, to re-enter? That's all that's involved. What do these teenagers most want to hear from their parents? What they want to hear is that they, that they are still as caringly connected as they ever were, that the parents, you know, are not dooming their future but have faith in them, you know, and that are there to, uh, you know, again, no longer as managers but as mentors essentially to say, look, I see you've chosen yourself in this hard situation. I can't exactly tell you how to get out, but I can... You know, from my own experience, I can share what I went through and what I learned, and, and that is at your disposal if that's useful to you. Who Stole My Child? Parenting Through the Four Stages of Adolescence. Carl Pickhart, Ph.D. This is just one of your many, many books about how to raise kids. <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Where can we go for more information? Well, go to my website, www.carlpickard.com, or the last 10 years I've written a blog for Psychology Today, Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, which I think is a little over 8 million reads now, so I think it's, that's proved useful, I think. I think he is definitely on to something. Who Stole My Child is the new book from Carl Pickhart, Ph.D. If you know someone who needs this book, email me from the website, kckacey.co. We'll send a copy out to someone Monday morning. Now, do you know someone who is missing a loved one this holiday season? Some wonderful ways to help them. And you, coming right up. Together, we can turn a stairwell into an ER at a moment's notice. Together, we can turn a rescue ship for refugees into a maternity ward. Together, we can vaccinate 710,000 people in just 11 days. Together, we can deliver medical care where the need is greatest. Together, we are Doctors Without Borders. Doctors Without Borders goes where others don't to provide life-saving medical care to people caught in crisis situations around the world. Learn more at doctorswithoutborders.org. Have you ever experienced a wish come true? For a child battling a critical illness, a wish come true can be a turning point. One song, one dance, one game, one adventure, one moment changes everything. Make-A-Wish needs your support to grant the wish of every eligible child. Visit wish.org now to help grant more life-changing wishes. Together, we can transform lives one wish at a time. 
The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. The holidays are hard when you're missing someone you love. Find solace and support at the Align Center in Irvington, December 11th. Coping with loss will be the panel discussion, and Allison Gilbert is one of the panelists. She's written a bunch about loss after experiencing it firsthand. What is the number one thing we get wrong when we try to help someone in grief? I think one of the most important things that we tend to get wrong is not bringing up someone's loss in conversation because we're scared. We're scared that that we're going to make them more sad or that we're going to somehow remind them when they may have pushed it out of their mind, quote unquote, for the holidays. And to be honest, that couldn't be more from the truth. I think what happens, and Cheryl Sanders has talked about this a lot with her work with Option B, her book and her web platform, is that just because you don't bring up a loss to someone who has suffered um, the death of a loved one, it certainly does not mean that they've forgotten about their loved one. In many ways, it just means that you're unfortunately and probably inadvertently giving them a second loss because now you're not giving them the opportunity to discuss their husband or wife or friend or son or daughter or parent who's passed away, you're all of a sudden taking that opportunity away from them. They, believe me, have not forgotten that they've lost someone close to them. Right. And what, and what happens is by you not bringing it up to them, by sharing a story or asking how they're doing or just reflecting that, you know what, this could be a very tough time for you, you're hurting them inadvertently by avoiding the opportunity to talk about someone who really meant a great deal to them. So it's okay to say, hey, Susie, I know this is your first holiday without Larry this year. It must be really hard. Is there anything I can do? That's right. I think that by acknowledging the loss, you're, of course, validating that something is very different this year from last year. And that's why this panel discussion at the Align Center, coping with loss, is especially relevant during the holidays. It could really help those who are grieving feel stronger, but also which is exactly why your question is so perfect. It can help those of us who are trying to be a friend to someone who suffered a loss be a more rich and uh, meaningful comfort to them as well. Yeah. So maybe it's a great idea to say to your friend, hey, there's this event at the Align Center. You know, I'll go with you if you want to go. Maybe that would be a nice thing to say. That's a lovely thing. I think anything that you can do either alone or in the company of others who just want to be supportive is a great idea. And I would say something else. Not only that, but if you go there alone or with a friend, there's also the opportunity of meeting other people who are in community together who are there for the same purpose. And so you can expand your connection to other people. And we know uh, that from science and research that connecting to other people is incredibly healing as well. When you were in the throes of going through a great deal of loss, 
What brought you solace? What, what, how did you find peace? Remembering them and being proactive about keeping their memory alive, 100%. The idea that we have the power to ensure that our loved ones remain present in our life is a very, very powerful choice that we need to make uh, in order to move forward. And by doing so, that brought me enormous peace. And that's what I've written about in my last book, which is called past and present, P-A-S-S-E-D, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive. It's really a book that explores 85 practical, uplifting, creative opportunities for keeping memories of loved ones alive. How do we do that? That's somehow confusing to a lot of people. We don't know really how to keep a memory present of someone who we adored. You know, maybe we know that we can go to a cemetery or maybe we think about them on the anniversary of their death and perhaps we light a candle. But there's so much more we can do and developing these opportunities and these strategies has been incredibly healing for me and of course all the readers who have gotten past and present to kind of follow this playbook. All right, give us a few things that that have worked for you. Sure. Well, I think one of the greatest gifts I ever got was after my father um, passed away. And it was really not something that I got directly. And let me explain. So my stepmother, uh, who was married to my dad, of course, after my father died, she got the most incredibly meaningful, thoughtful gift. A friend came to their house after my father passed away when we were remembering him and sitting Shiva. And she brought my stepmother 63 daffodil bulbs. 63 daffodil bulbs. Why 63 daffodil bulbs? Well, each one was presented in a wicker basket. And each one was meant to celebrate each year of my father's life. So he died when he was 63. And so each um, daffodil bulb was meant to be a celebration of every year that we did get with him. And here's where this present really takes a greater shape. It wasn't meant for my stepmother to plant every single daffodil bowl by herself, right? (laughs) That would be enormously hard. It would take a lot of time. It would be a burden. The goal of this particular gift was to make sure that we had an opportunity as a family with their neighbors, with his co-workers, with his friends to come together at a certain date and a certain time to plant these together. So at the same time, we can eat, we can have a good time, we can hang out, we can just share the moment of planting these daffodil bulbs in memory of my father and talk about him, celebrate his life. And now every year in the spring, these daffodil bulbs pop up. And of course, they're just lively and they're just gorgeous and they're really easy. You know, you don't have to do much work with daffodil bulbs. They just kind of come up every year. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder 
reminder in a really positive way of my father. Beautiful. All right. And tell everybody what's going to happen at the Align Center at this panel. Well, I think it's going to be this incredible discussion. There are experts in uh, grief and loss and resilience who are coming together, and we're going to be discussing what are the trigger points during the holidays? How can we move through them? How can we be uh, stronger ourselves, but also be better friends to others who are also um, having suffered loss? And I must say, too, this is not just a panel discussion that's about recent loss. And I would really emphasize that because a lot of us who have suffered loss know all too well that even if a loss was five years ago, the holidays are still a trigger, right? They still pop up and um, you have that feeling that you wish your loved one was still here. And so I encourage everyone who's listening to us right now to mark their calendars for Tuesday, December 11th, to join us in Irvington at the Align Center for this panel discussion called Coping with Loss. You will come away stronger. I think you will come away happier. And you'll come away with concrete and uplifting ideas for keeping the memory of your loved one alive, which I think is important every day, but especially, of course, resonant around the holidays. That's Allison Gilbert, who wrote Past and Present. Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive. Find her at the Aligned Center in Irvington. This is open to all Tuesday, December 11th, and you'll find out all about it at thealignedcenter.com. Thanks for listening to Shine On today, and thank you to Priscilla Kerasi, the medium who joined us for a psychic evening last week at the Mount Carmel Hall in Verplank. That was a wonderful event. Our next event is another healing circle for women who have been traumatized by abuse, physical, sexual, verbal. That's happening from 2 to 4, December 16th at Marriondale in Ossining. A very powerful circle. Please come. You don't have to say a word. You can just sit by me. And we're planning lots more to do from the spiritual to the absolute silly. And you'll always find your invitation at Casey.co. All right. Thank you for tuning in today. Our thought for the day is from Helen Keller, who said, What we have once enjoyed, we can never lose. All that we deeply love becomes a part of us. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.